Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. A few moments ago, I placed a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And as I stepped back and stood during the moment of silence that followed, I said a small prayer. And it occurred to me that each of my predecessors has had a similar moment. And I wondered if our prayers weren't very much the same, if not identical. We celebrate Veterans Day on the anniversary of the armistice that ended World War I. The armistice that began on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And I wonder, in fact, if all Americans' prayers aren't the same as those I mentioned a moment ago. For all we can ever do for our heroes is remember them and remember what they did. And memories are transmitted through words. That's a long, long time ago. That was Ronald Reagan, of course, that very familiar voice. I think that was about 36 years ago as Ronald Reagan made a visit to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier to celebrate Veterans Day. And, of course, Veterans Day was yesterday, but we celebrate it as a national day today. So welcome to the show. Kath, good to see you. It's a pleasure to have an opportunity to thank people who are living for what they have done for our country. Yes. I mean, it's wonderful that we have Memorial Day and we get to remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. Um, And it's also wonderful that there are people among us who we can speak to and look in the eye and say, thank you. Veteran. You know, I mean, that's really special that we get to do both things. It sure is. But, But this year is different because this is, yesterday was, the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. Of course, everybody knows from their history classes, whether they were in junior high or whatnot, uh, the war to end all wars. And uh, would it be that were so, but uh, we continue to roll on from one war after another. More than uh, eight and a half million men were killed in World War One, and almost as many civilian casualties as well. Of course, the United States was a, a late comer into World War One, so our casualties were a scant uh, minimum by comparison to the rest of the world. However, the brutality of it all, the Mm -hmm. first time that um, mustard gas, essentially chemical warfare Mm -hmm. used on soldiers and civilians, it changed people's perspective of war. And with the new invention of motion picture and um, um, regular photography, still photography, for the first time ever, you could see the war scenes on the front page of your newspaper. So those things alone change people psychologically. Mm-hmm. And to see people, soldiers come home after a year or even less in the trenches in Europe, and they didn't call it this. They called it shell shock you know, after World War One. But, of course, we now know it as PTSD. But World War One, 100 years ago, yesterday, the 11th day of the 11th hour of the 11th month, got a piece of audio that was essentially recreated 
from the imagery of 1059 on September 11th, I'm sorry, November 11th, and of course there wasn't, you pointed this out, Calf, there was no audio recording technology available on 11-11-1911. But what they did was they took photographs and somehow buried within the vibrations of the images of the film that were being taken. Years later, scientists were able to extract what they considered to be image audio from these clips. So the wild thing about it is that even though the armistice was essentially going to be signed and everyone knew on both sides of the battlefield that 11 a.m. we will lay down our arms, at 10.59, men were still being killed. It was a reckless bloodthirst, wanton disregard for human life. And here in a recreation of that image, we've got the audio of that. And so it was, September, November 11th, 1911. It's fascinating, is it, to think about the guns, thick and heavy, I'm sure the acrid smoke of the gunpowder, and then, in seconds, the echoes of those guns wiped away into a new era of peace. Stick around, won't you, please? we got a good show for you today. A lot going on here, of course, in this country. It's the Ride Home with John and Kathy, the Monday edition. We'll be back in a few minutes. I'm John Henney from Henny Jewelers. Since 1887, my family has helped people celebrate the most memorable moments in their lives. We are rooted in faith and commit to doing the right thing again and again. We believe in the covenant of marriage and use our To Have and To Hold program to encourage couples as they prepare to spend the rest of their lives together. Please stop into our Shadyside store to learn more or visit HennyJewelers.com. Henny Jewelers, your jewelers for life. Don't be at a disadvantage when it comes to your Medicare coverage. Open enrollment ends December 7th, and you have some important decisions to make today. Because Medicare is confusing. But Todd Marley and the experts at Marley Financial know that you have questions, and they've got the answers you're looking for. So before you lock in for another year, ask yourself, are you sure you're getting the best coverage possible? Visit MarleyFG.com and find out for yourself. Do you hold PAT for 2019? Has your Advantage plan changed terms on you? What premiums are going up next year and by how much? Should you switch your Part D prescription plan or drop it altogether? 
don't go it alone. Let Marley Financial steer you in a comprehensive solution that lets you access any hospital or doctor you want. A plan that focuses not just on cost, but on quality, with lower deductibles and co-pays that are little to none. Why get stuck paying thousands in out-of-pocket expenses? Visit MarleyFG.com today. That's MarleyFG.com. 101.5 WORD. Turning Point with David Jeremiah. These creatures who were created primarily to worship God have six wings. Four of them are for worship and two of them are for work. And someone has reminded us that in our day, we seem to have reversed the priority. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his series, Angels, What the Bible Reveals, next time on Turning Point. This evening at 7.30 on 101.5 WORD. The day after Thanksgiving, feed your soul. Join Amen to Action as we come together to sing, pray, celebrate, and pack one million meals of hope for the hungry. It's Friday, November 23rd at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. Doors open at 8 a.m. and all faiths and ages are welcome. Come fill your heart with joy and one million plates of food right here in Pittsburgh. To register, go to amentoaction.org. Why don't you come? Because my mom is a really good dentist. Good dental habits begin early with Dr. Megan Stock. I love the joy that children bring to the office. I like creating those good, positive first experiences. And I try to really reinforce that we're there to help and to have a good time at the dental office. My mommy is a really good dentist and she'll take good care of you. You have my word on it. Visit StockFamilyDentistry.com. Over there, over there. Hey, welcome back to the Veterans Day edition of the Ride Home with John and Kathy. As we do always, every Monday, we check in at the White House with our White House correspondent, SRN News Media, Greg Clugston. Hey, Greg, how are you today, sir? Hi, John, Kathy. Great to be back. Thank you. Greg, uh... It seems like the president's trip to France was fraught with a couple issues. I would say first, it was the issue of weather, which kept the president from being actually at the event that celebrated the end 100 years later of World War One. Yeah, there, there were a handful of events uh, in and around Paris over the weekend. Um, and one of them on Saturday, as you, as you mentioned, Kathy, uh, the president canceled his appearance. It was going to be at a cemetery uh, that uh, there were a lot of Americans who died and, and uh, were buried there. They had uh, been involved in a, in a key battle uh, back during World War One, and so the weather was was bad enough that he could not take the helicopter Marine One to fly to the cemetery. And so um, the initial the initial statement coming out of the White House on Saturday was um, bad weather. President can't go. He's not going, and he'll send. Uh, couple of his, uh, you know, military advisors uh, in his place. Uh, and then there was all sorts of criticism the rest of the weekend for the president's uh, decision not to attend one way or the other. And then last night, as the president was returning home on Air Force One, uh, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders put out a statement that was offering a little bit fuller of an explanation, uh, sort of in response to the criticism that had come up over the past, the previous 24 hours. And she basically said uh, it was near zero visibility, uh, and that's the reason for the grounding of the helicopter, and that it was going to be a two-and-a-half-hour drive one way, 
through the uh, the French countryside, I guess, and there are going to be very severe road closures uh, disrupting a lot of people in that area. And she said the president decided it simply wasn't worth it and that he would attend all of the other planned events uh, over the weekend, which he did. I see. So in Pittsburgh, where the president was criticized for showing up, and in France criticized for not showing up, it's neither win either way, is it? No, yeah, that's true. And obviously, when uh, if there are backup plans, um, usually presidents and, and, and White Houses plan for any sort of contingency, whether it's weather or something else. And in this particular case, the uh, you know the distance to the location uh, was prohibitive in the view of the president and the White House, uh, and they decided uh, you know not to go. You know, sort of compounding that decision not to go to that particular cemetery uh, commemoration was the fact that the president uh, appeared in his public appearances when the press was there and when he was meeting with the uh, the French president um, Macron for a for a one on one. The president seemed to be um, not quite his uh, you know usual. Um, you know, energetic self, and he's often been energetic around Macron because mm-hmm. these two have uh, famously gotten off uh, fairly well. They at least got off to a good start. Their relationship maybe has developed uh, somewhat in a different direction since those early days. But, uh, you know, obviously the president came off a very grueling um, midterm campaign schedule, um, and even though he said that he was very happy with the results at his post-election news conference last week, Obviously, Democrats are getting ready to take over the House, and so there there were some concerns there about uh, you know governing with a new Congress starting in January. All right, so the Dems are ready to take control of the House. Um, how's it looking in Washington? What kinds of changes have to be made? Well, they have to uh, officially elect someone who is going to be the Speaker of the House, the top Democrat. Um, and Nancy Pelosi is all but acting as if um, she is already now. She, of course, is a former House Speaker, the most recent Democrat to be the House Speaker, and by many accounts, she is in the driver's seat to uh, you know to get enough votes by the Democrats in the caucus in the House to uh, to be put back into that position. There are any number of Democrats uh, who would like to see perhaps younger leadership, different leadership sure. besides Pelosi. Uh, and what Democrats are struggling to do right now is to find someone uh, that could rally enough votes to, you know, to make a run at it against Pelosi. And nobody seems to have, uh, you know, stepped into that position yet. There are, I think, a few weeks left before there's an actual vote for the Democrats. Uh, so we'll have to just watch and see and see if anybody does uh, step into that void and uh, if anybody is able to, uh, you know, challenge Pelosi. But obviously not only the top spot, but all of the committees are going to be changing hands uh, with the control of the Democratic Party now. They will now, uh, Democrats will be uh, in the position to be the chair uh, persons of all of the committees. And there's already talk about the number of issues and subpoenas and sort of the um, investigations of the Trump administration that uh, Democrats are talking about. And there's already talk that they're going to be digging into the president's tax returns and his family businesses, uh, the firing of James Comey, the firing of U.S. attorneys, and all sorts of other policy differences Democrats have with the Trump administration. So the White House is gearing up for what could be, um, you know, a lot of subpoenas and a lot of investigatory committee action by Democrats. Salem Radio Network News, Greg Clugson is with us from the White House. 
So, Greg, uh, all this is politics, politics, politics. But but what about actual work being done in Washington, D.C.? Is there a hint of that from the Democrats or the Republicans? Well, the Democrats certainly say that the, they have some ideas about um, ethics reform and some other um, policy ideas they want to put in place um, right off the bat if, if they're able to do that. And the president even suggested at his news conference last week that uh, he and a lot of Democrats might see eye to eye on some infrastructure improvement and spending um, in the future. So there are some areas where there could be cooperation, um, you know, between the two parties or um, or enough votes for by just Democrats only with their control to, uh, to you know, to pass some things. Um, but this is, you know, this is now officially a lame duck Congress. So the members of the existing Congress between now and the first couple of days of January, um, there's, there's still have to, they still have to pass a few bills and there may be another budget bill coming up. And the president has talked about, you know, still wanting more wall funding for the border wall. Um, obviously Democrats, most of them don't have an appetite for that, and we'll have to see if anything can get done and uh, avoid a government shutdown at the end of the year. All right, so we're living in the post-election, what, calm, I guess? It's the calm after the storm. You said that the president hasn't quite recovered. I don't think I've quite recovered, and I didn't do anything uh, in the election. But there's so much uh, cultural energy, which we invest in that one day. Now, other than places like Georgia and Florida, where they're still counting votes, um, most of us are, are now moving on to other things. But is that the case in Washington, Greg, or does it just kind of hang around longer there? Well, I think it does hang around longer here just because there are so many jobs um, associated and affiliated with politics, national government. Uh, So I think it maybe does hang on here a little longer. Um, And then obviously, as you mentioned, and we should we should mention this, the idea that the fact that there are um, some outstanding um, election results uh, in Georgia, uh, Florida, Arizona. The president was on Twitter earlier today, and he is said uh, this a couple of times since last Tuesday, he says the Florida election should be called in favor of Republicans Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis. They're the uh, ones who are running for the U.S. Senate and the governor, uh, the you know, the governor's seat in Florida. Um, the, the president has been alleging, along with some Republicans, not all Republicans, that there might be some fraud or even corruption going on or some sort of funny business in Florida in particular. The president keeps referring to large numbers of new ballots that he says are showing up out of nowhere. Uh, and, of course, all, all this talk about, um, you know, recounts and, and all the rest. So this, this may go on for some time if, if the recounts uh, move forward on that. So the president and the White House and other key political you know, figures here in Washington keeping an eye on that because that still is going to play out as to what the uh, the makeup of the majority for the Republicans in the Senate is going to be and uh, the number of governor's seats that the, uh, the GOP has going forward as well. I see. So then from a Democratic perspective, as they take control of the House, will this just be sort of, um, what, payback? It's time to pay back the president for all the uh, all the clamor of the last two years. So what can we look forward to? Uh, obstruction and subpoenas and all that. But I, again, you know, not much is going to get done. Just someone sticking someone's thumb in someone's eye. Yeah, I mean, there are an, a number, John, there are a number of um, House Democrats who are, you know, talking on the record about – the, the list of things they would like to investigate that would fall into that category of 
payback, political payback. Uh, and I mentioned some of them. And, and obviously, Democrats, they want to look at all kinds of Trump administration policies, the travel ban and the family separation policy regarding immigration, uh, the president's uh, hurricane response. There was a member of Congress who would like to uh, really look at how the White House is treating CNN and the Washington Post and other media outlets and whether or not he is unfairly targeting. So mm -hmm. I think all of this would fall into the, you know, the payback and, um, you know, accountability category. Now, obviously, Democrats will put this emphasis on, on accountability, saying there are checks and balances, and that for the first two years of the Trump administration, um, Democrats will argue there hasn't been much oversight of the administration by Republicans. And so they see that it's their role going forward to provide that kind of oversight. But John, you're absolutely right in saying there is a political uh, component to all of this. And uh, whether or not uh, you know the American people think that's a, a wise use of, of Congress's time and resources, we'll have to see. So, Greg, from your perspective, you were traveling so much with the president. Now, do you kind of start to gear up for a different thing? Is it already the presidential election of uh, 2020? Or, you know, how, how does your personal perspective work on that? Well, certainly we, you know, we're, we're keeping an eye toward 2020. And, you know, the president is already, you know, making plans to run for reelection. And we're already hearing about any number of Democrats uh, and what's what's funny and, and interesting is, you know, last time in the presidential race in 2016, what were there 16, 17 different Republican candidates? Remember those debates? How many right. how many candidates were on stage? They had to divide the, the debates into, into two tiers at one point because they couldn't fit all of the candidates on stage. That's going to be almost the exact same thing this time around for the 2020 election with Democrats because there are so many. Democratic members, uh, you know, members of the party who would like to uh, to run for for the White House. So uh, that'll be sort of in reverse. In terms of you know my own uh, you know my own plans or you know how I'm affected by moving forward, um, you know my beat continues to be the White House and and covering the administration, uh, and so that will that will remain you know going forward. Uh, but obviously, once the 2020 season really kicks into high gear, that's uh, that'll be a part of the beat as well because the president himself is going to be involved in that. Right. You so, should nap before then. Yeah, lo along that. I'm, I'm hoping to. I'm hoping to. Yeah. From the White House himself, Greg Clugston is with us, SRN News White House correspondent. Hey, Greg, um, we've not talked to you since um, last week's um, uh, press conference with the president. Uh, Jim Acosta, uh, that made national news, the exchange between President Trump and Jim Acosta from CNN. Uh, you know, I listened to that, and Kath did too, uh, almost the entirety of that press conference. It seems to me, and, and this is not reporting on your end, this is just, you know, the, the the pool that you're swimming in, for better or worse, but it seems to me that the press has taken a great delight in not necessarily reporting the news, but acting as the moral guardian for the nation, where they have to, at every turn, lecture the president or obstruct in some way. Or can, challenge, yeah. as Jim Acosta said. Can you speak to that? You know, that uh, Jim Acosta and other reporters like mine, that I'm sure friends and contemporaries of yours, have made this their full-time job. And it's not necessarily reporting, but it is something entirely different. We have seen a shift, uh, I would argue, uh, toward that idea of challenging. 
That's not to say that past presidents have never been challenged by questioners. Sure. Uh, and you, you go back, you, know, you had Sam Donaldson of ABC News often yelling and uh, getting Ronald Reagan's attention. And then and Sam Donaldson even made a comeback appearance for a few years during the Bush administration uh, for George W. Bush. And there are any number of you know, hard-nosed reporters uh, who will get the attention of the president. You know, and, and often Jim Acosta and some of his, um, you know, his backers, uh, even those of us in the press corps, w- w- would say that there is a difference between just yelling to get the president's attention or asking very pointed questions and challenging and being argumentative. Um, are you know with the president uh, in an exchange at a at a press conference, and that's that's what I think is is more of the change that we've seen. There's there's more argument, and there's more, as you say, you know, they're trying to be a guardian of what they are determining is is right and wrong. And I do think that a lot of that you know comes from the fact that uh, there are any number of people who believe that. Um, you know, we're completely surprised, first of all, that Donald Trump won in 2016, and then also, you know, are, are concerned that he is just unfit for office because of any number of actions or words uh, spoken by the president over the last two and a half or three years. And so there are some that seem to have taken it upon themselves to uh, to put themselves in, in that category. Um, and I, and I think I did mention last week that, you know, when it comes to, you know, press freedoms and the ability to, you know, talk and, and uh, interact with the President of the United States um, as a member of the White House Press Corps, uh, I certainly want to see, you know, that access and those freedoms, uh, you know, continue. For sure. And I don't, and I don't like a lot of the, you know, uh, a lot of the White House condemnation of the, uh, you know, the press or the fake news as the enemy of the people. Right. But at the same time, uh, there does seem to be a shift in tone by some members of the press corps when it comes to their questioning of the president. You know, it's a difficult question because we all recognize, because we listen to the radio or watch television or find our news online, that the president is much more antagonistic um, toward whoever. It's not just the press. It's to any of his opponents. It was That's the way it was in the election. It's the way it is now. It's just part of his character, part of who he was and who he continues to be. Um, I think the difference, though, is that the the press is now amping it up against him. And it's not like this is the first, like you know, president press altercation that there's been. I remember when Obama w- Justice Department was wiretapping the reporter from Fox News. I mean, that was only just a couple years ago. That's right. That's right. No, there um, there are any number of, of instances you can point to and examples uh, from, you know, presidents in, in the modern presidency going back any number of years where there's, uh, you know, animosity and, um, you know, bad blood in some cases. Uh, you know, in addition to Jim Acosta at that press conference, uh, you also had uh, the president, before he left for Paris last Friday, also disparaging um, a couple of other reporters. And then there was also the uh, the PBS uh, female reporter um, at that news conference last week as well, that the president, uh, he simply brushed off her question, um, you know, as being racist. And then he later um, said to a reporter from CNN, um, a, a woman reporter, um, Abby Phillip, that uh, she asks stupid questions and that she, he watches her on TV. And he called another radio reporter nasty. So the president, um, you know, there is a, he talks about respect for the presidency and for the White House, and I am all for that. But uh, it seems as if there should be 
it should be a two-way street mm-hmm. to some extent, and th- there are times when the president uh, is not sh- displaying that as much as perhaps he could as well. Yes, well, few would know like you do, Greg, because you have a front-row seat to the president and the, the goings-on at the White House. So we always appreciate you and your straight-ahead candor. Thanks for being with us. Thanks. Have a great week. Thank you yeah. as well. Greg Clugston, SRN News, White House correspondent. Information about Greg and at Salem Radio Network News, wordfm.com. You're a good mom. You've tried every parenting tip in the book, but nothing seems to stick. Your child is smart, but just can't sit still and focus. Or maybe you know that something is just off. If your child just can't do things you think he should be able to, there is a reason. Brain Balance can help. For over 10 years, the Brain Balance program has helped kids just like yours. This customized program doesn't just mask your child's issues, but gets to the root of the problem. If your child is not making friends, is disruptive in school, or life just seems a lot harder than it needs to be, it's not that he's not trying. He just can't change what he can't control. The Brain Balance Program can help. If you feel your child falling further and further behind in school, don't wait. Call your local center today and find out how Brain Balance can build the strong foundation your child needs for a brighter future. Visit BrainBalance.com for the center nearest you. Great experiences are meant to be shared. How about the experience of a great night's sleep? This is John Hall, and I've been sharing with you about my pillow for a long time. It's truly the most comfortable pillow I've ever owned. It's machine washable, dryable, never loses its shape, and it gives me the support I need no matter what position I'm in. And it comes with Mike Lindell's famous 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Once you experience my pillow, I'm sure that you'll love it too. And you're going to want to share that great experience with somebody else, which is great because right now you can get two my pillows for the price of one with Mike's buy one, get one free deal. Just call 1-800-961-9207. Mention the promo code word to start enjoying the best sleep of your life or type it in when you visit mypillow.com. So don't delay. That's 1-800-961-9207 or visit MyPillow.com. Use the promo code WORD. Some of your favorite pastors and authors like Charles Stanley, John Piper, and Max Lucado are bringing you their most popular devotionals for free. Discover the joy and peace you can experience every day when you spend time in God's Word daily. Sign up for daily devotionals from Crosswalk.com and get inspiration and encouragement sent right to your inbox with devotionals for parenting, singles, women, workplace, and more. Crosswalk.com offers spiritual growth for every stage of life. Visit Crosswalk.com. Right now, there are young people across the world facing a tough choice. Continue their dream of education or drop out to help their family put food on the table. You can help change their future in a single moment. See how far your support can go at unbound.org. For all the many years that we've been doing the ride home with John and Kathy, both Kath and I really appreciate all the advertisers who've been with us. Grove City College is our newest advertiser, and we are so happy that Grove City is with us. Both of our children attend Grove City, so we, as proud parents of children who attend Grove City College, we say thank you to Grove City College. Cold rain tonight likely ends as a little wet snow late. Not much in the way of accumulation, but watch for slick spots if you're out. Low 33 tonight. Tomorrow starts out with a leftover flurry or two, otherwise cloudy, brisk, and cold with a high only 38. 
Rather cold tomorrow night with lingering clouds, low near 20. Clouds and breaks of sun Wednesday, but we stay rather cold with high only 36. I'm AccuWeather meteorologist Frank Strait on 101.5 Word FM. This comic strip is lame and derivative. I'll be the judge of that. Oh, we... <laughs> Stan Lee! Creator of Marvel Comics? Greetings, true believers. It's like playing a game. Some people like to play cards. Some people like to play golf. I like to play coming up with ideas for movies or books or whatever. That's fun. You know, I guess one person can make a difference. Enough said. Invitation, sir. Um, I should be on that list. Name? Stanley. Yeah, uh, nice try, buddy. Nice no, no, try. really, I'm nice Stanley. Yeah. I've tried to write stories that anybody and everybody would enjoy. I've tried to make them understandable enough and exciting or suspenseful or interesting enough for youngsters to hold their interest. And I've tried to make them hopefully intelligent enough for older people. Are you Tony Stank? Yes, this is this is Tony Stank. You're in the right place. Sorry to hear the uh, passing today of Marvel comic founder legend Stan Lee, the age of 95. You know, um, there was a time uh, not that long ago when comic book comic books were assigned to the the back room of sort of the uh, the geek uh, pile, the less than pile. They were certainly not looked upon as good storytelling or literary, literary uh, sources of um, of storytelling. But Stan Lee and the culture changed all that. You know, starting way back in the 1930s, uh, Stan Lee put together this huge cavalcade of, of characters. Um, Spider-Man. Um, oh, it goes on Spider-Man, the Avengers, X-Men, X-Men, Iron Man, mm-hmm. Black Panther, the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four. It goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. He says this. Um, he said, I used to think what I did was not very important. Uh, people are building bridges and engaging in medical research, and here I was doing stories about fictional people who do extraordinary, crazy, crazy things and wear costumes. But I suppose I've come to realize that entertainment is not easily dismissed. Stanley uh, sold Marvel Comics to Disney for four billion dollars a while back, estimated to be worth about $70 million. The last few years have been unkind to Stan Lee as he suffered elder abuse and was involved in some tumultuous uh, lawsuits. But for the body of work over a Mm -hmm. lifetime, that's a heck of a thing to do, to create all these imaginary characters and please a lot of people. The Wall Street Journal said today that he tirelessly promoted the comic book as an integral piece of American pop culture that deserved to be taken seriously. Nice. He's also well known for actually taking real world, it's hard to say real world, real real world world problems um, and putting them into the world of the comic book Mm -hmm. hero. So, right, kind of made them human and humane at the same time. Now, were you a fan of comic books? I never read a single comic book. You've you've never read a single comic book in your life? I never Never. have. Now, I grew up with a stack. I mean, we had stacks of comic books. Mike? Mike, you're a comic book fan? Yeah. Heck yeah. Who's your favorite? Oh, definitely Batman. Batman. Batman and Superman. Uh, yeah, Batman, Batman versus Superman. Superman. That's a good comic book. That sure is. Um, oh, yeah. I grew up with them. My brother grew up with them. Uh, to be honest with you, there's there's a really cool comic book store in Swickley. And sometimes when I'm in the area, 
I'll stop, stop on in. by. Yeah, and I'll read some. Yeah, there's some great comic book stores oh, yeah. you know, all over the place. So yeah, Stan Lee, passing of a of a legend. I do want to say though that hmm. along with like the rest of Western humanity, I do love the Marvel movies. Oh yeah. I mean, I've almost seen them all. Which yeah. I, I, you know, I don't want to brag, but that's a lot more than you have, John. <laughs> it is true. Now you know what? On your side, you know, they used to produce uh, classic comic books where they would do. And I don't think they ever did Jane Austen, but things like that. Oh yeah, really? You know, yeah. Okay. You know, like Dickens yeah, and yeah. things. It wasn't. I mean, I, kinda, I mean I've, I've read a graphic novel here and there. Oh, graphic novel. Okay. Okay, yeah. I've read one. Sort of the the hoity not toity. Re- I shouldn't say here and there. I'm yeah. Here. Yeah. I, I read one. What was it? Uh, it was A Wrinkle in Time. Okay. Well, they do graphic novels of the Bible. You've seen that, sure. right? I mean, right. it's become a, a, a gigantic business. And Stan Lee, one of the originals. Did you know that Stan Lee was a veteran? I did not. He was. Of World War II. Yes. Fabulous, Stan. Mm-hmm. Nice. All right. Well, congratulations, Stan Lee. And uh, Life body of work, it is. Come back. we got a lot more ahead. We're going to talk about anti-Semitism. What is that? And what do we need to know about it? WORD. Have you ever observed a woman preparing for her wedding? She's consumed by thoughts of her beloved. Did you know that the church is to be like an engaged woman? Because when Christ returns, we will be presented as his bride. What does that mean in our daily lives and how should we act and what should we be doing to prepare for our big day? Well, Dr. McGee discusses these issues in his study of Ephesians. And that's where we are this week on Through the Bible Radio. This evening at 9 p.m. on 101.5 WORD. Most executors don't want the job, quite frankly. Attorney Michelle Conti, host of Conti's Law on the importance of proper estate administration. There's a lot of steps that go into settling an estate. And if they don't get it right, not knowing the law isn't a defense to why you didn't do it correctly in the first place. When you pass without appropriate planning, it can be very costly. We see more fractions within families when death and money are involved. If you don't plan appropriately, it's very common. Siblings don't speak anymore. We act as the mediator for that executor to understand the law. We sit down and go through what probate looks like. Once we go through those steps, we'll assist with getting all of the legal documents, getting you sworn in with the local court, and starting that probate process. And then we will act as the mediator with the the beneficiaries and the executor. Hear more on Conti's Law Saturday morning at 9 on WORD. For immediate help, visit ContiLawPGH.com. How does Eden Christian Academy prepare students for success? Through education that ignites the mind and inspires the spirit from pre-K through 12th grade, through 47 state-certified full-time teachers, and opportunities in sports, the arts, and service to the community. With results like SAT scores 200 points over the national average, schedule a tour at any of Eden's three North Hills campuses and see what the area's largest non-denominational Christian school has to offer at EdenChristianAcademy.org. The Original Mattress Factory is always looking for good people to join our team. If you're interested in a sales, manufacturing, or delivery position, we offer competitive pay and exceptional benefits packages. Integrity and strong work ethic are essential because at OMF, we strive for excellence in all that we do. To learn more about our company and our unique business model, visit us at OriginalMattress.com. You can stop by any of our locations or visit the employment section on OriginalMattress.com to complete an application. Hi, this is Tunch Ilkin on behalf of Light of Life Rescue Mission. 
Thanksgiving has great meaning for the entire team at the mission, and it reaches far beyond a few football games and eating too much turkey. We're thankful for you, the caring Pittsburgh community, and the generous ways you continue to reach out and help us touch the lives of those in need. Today, I'm asking you to join our team to help us share the priceless gift of hope by visiting lightoflife.org and donating generously today. How do you celebrate faith, family, and fun? How about on eight wheels? Word FM Skate Nights are coming to Neville Rollerdrome beginning Monday, December 3rd. Join host Kenny Woods every first Monday of the month and enjoy your favorite CCM hits with prizes and giveaways 6.30 to 9 p.m. You could even win a free skate night for your family. Admission is $7. Skate rental just three more. Details at skatenrd.com. Word FM Skate Nights at Neville Rollerdrome at skatenrd.com. Two Saturdays ago, an animal went into the Tree of Life synagogue and killed 11 people. He did so because, uh, ostensibly, he hated Jews. And he's talked about this in the hospital where he was being treated, ironically, by Jewish doctors. So over the uh, last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of conversation, um, maybe at your church or um, certainly in the news media, about anti-Semitism. What exactly is that? What is anti-Semitism? Where does it come from? Why does it even exist? Well, Joe Carter is with us from the Gospel Coalition. Joe is the editor for the Gospel Coalition, the editor of the NIV Life Hacks Bible, the co-author of How to Argue Like Jesus, Learning Persuasion from History's Greatest Communicators. And Joe always has interesting uh, interesting things to say. Joe, uh, thanks for joining us today on a, on a difficult subject. How are you today? Great. Thanks for having me back on. Thank you. So, Joe, anti-Semitism, defined as hostility toward or prejudice against Jews as a religious or racial group, where did the term originate? Uh, originated in the Ger- uh, German journalist in the uh, 1800s. He uh, founded the Anti-Semitic League, and it was, um, he was kind of the inter- instigator of anti-Semitism in Germany. And he later recanted his, his anti-Semitic beliefs, but he was kind of the first to coin the term uh, for a term for a kind of a hatred that's always been around since... Uh, the days of the Hebrews. I see. So, you know, in the course of all of our uh, reading and conversations these past couple of weeks, Joe, uh, we came across a, a really odd statistic that um, that ventured to, to say that in the world's population, the total Jewish population in the world is somewhere around 0.02%, which is a shocking number when you think about Jews in this world. So you wonder why, and of course this is veering off in a different subject in a way, but anti-Semitism, what is it about the Jews that some people hate Jewish people? What What, what is behind all that? Well, I think Christians would say that behind it is Satan, and it's been the attack on God's people from the beginning, before it became the church, it was the Jews. So there's a religious, I mean, there's a spiritual aspect to it. There's also a kind of a secular aspect that, especially... Um, in the Middle Ages, uh, when when Christians weren't allowed to charge interest on loans because of usury laws and things like that, the Jews became the financiers. So the Jews uh, became wealthy because of the um, uh, the economics of the time, because they were allowed to lend money, and that became a very that drove kind of hostility towards Jews. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the one of the big things is that from the um, world's Iranian historian who wrote the history of uh, one of the Premier history of the, the world. He he looked over anti-Semitism from the years you know from 1306 to the present day, and he said the main source of anti-Semitism is economic, not religious differences, uh, and that 
mostly it's because of socialism and anti-capitalism that kind of drives that. And so anytime we see a rise of socialism, we see a, a commensurate rise in anti-Semitism. Wait, that, now that's interesting. Every time we see a rise in socialism, we also see a rise in anti-Semitism. Yeah, because, well, anti-capitalism and socialism tends to be anti-capitalist. So right. anytime we have nationalistic or socialist economic movements, uh, the Jews, for some reason, even though they're a small number, they kind of, because they kind of, uh, are symbolic of capitalism. They, they're the kind of global symbolism. And when we hear the term globalist, what a lot of people mean by that is, is Jews. And so Jews and economics have been tied together since the Middle Ages. It's just kind of a weird connection. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, that, so give us some give us some examples. I mean, of course, the obvious example is World War II and Hitler and the gas chambers. But, of course, this goes back uh, many hundreds, and if not thousands, of years of anti-Semitism, yeah? Yeah, and like... Uh, uh, one of the big things in the um, in the Middle Ages was called blood libel, the idea that uh, the Jews would kill Christian children to use their blood for ritual purposes, such as an ingredient in baking the Passover matzah, unleavened bread. So anytime a, a, a child would go missing, a lot of Jews would get killed because they were accused of, of killing uh, children wow. and using their blood. And so, and today, even at the blood libel, still some I believe say in Palestine, that's one of the accusations against Israel is. Is that they uh, they killed Palestinian children and use their blood to make their what, where did Passover that meal. where did that come from is that the his, is that the is that the Old Testament prescription of ritual sacrifice is that what where that why that link is made I don't think so because what's so weird is that Jews aren't allowed to drink or have blood from anything right exactly. Animal. So, so the idea that they would use it for children, it's just one of those weird... Right, but it's one of those weird things. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, though, if it's, you know, how half-truths can can somehow come together and right, create right. some kind yeah. of cultural truism that is completely false. I just wondered if it's, you know, some kind of connection to what we understand of sacrifice, those of us who read the Old Testament, and then it's combined, you know, a non-understanding of that, but just enough of it to really screw you up. And then it's... So, I, I, so blood libel, that label that's where it comes from that's where it comes from uh, every time joe carter's on the show i learned something something so shocking okay so joe uh of course uh christians uh, our hands are are filled with jewish blood as well um martin luther of course we just you know last last year went through the 500th anniversary of the reformation martin 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 uh, martin luther martin luther was a very famously an anti-semite yeah and he was later in his life, and early in life he was very warm to the Jews and thought he would come around. He, he kind of believed that he would be able to convert them, and when they didn't turn as a people and just convert, he became very anti-Jewish and anti, very anti-Semitic, uh, which is a shame, because otherwise you know, he, was, he was a great religious leader, but he, that was one of the things he just, um, one of his big moral failings was hatred for the Jews. It's an atrocious failing. I mean, it's an unbelievable theological failing also. Is there a link, was there a link in Martin Luther's mind, thinking, or writing connecting the crucifixion of Jesus with the Jews? Yeah, and that's one of the, 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 one of the connections that, uh, especially Christian anti-Semitism, that by that, I mean, anti-Semitism is driven by theological reasons rather than just nationalistic or economic reasons. And it, a lot of it goes back to the, uh, the passage of the Bible where they, they said our blood will be upon us the, um, in, I think, Matthew 27, 25. They use that as a justification of saying that well, the Jews are always responsible for, for uh, Jesus' death. And, of course, that's a weird, that's a weird thing to think because we're responsible for Jesus' death. Mm-hmm. Our sins is what, uh, why he had to go to the cross. And so it's things like that. It's just, uh, and it, again, we're, 
we kind of see it from a more modern perspective. We have a better understanding of the Bible. When we look back, especially Middle Ages, when people didn't have the Bible, maybe they only heard bits and pieces, so they kind of connected. They hear this, you know, passage one time and just connected to Jews and just assumed that the Jews were responsible for killing Christ. Right, but even in the Middle Ages, I mean, it was, I mean, Jesus has always been a Jew. He's always going to be a Jew. Yeah, that's that's what we think, and I think it's big, that's, especially evangelical Christians, that's so obvious, it's, it's, goes without saying, but I think a lot of um, a lot of people, especially because ethnicity in it was a bigger issue in earlier mm-hmm. times when you were connected by your ethnicity, and the distinction between uh, Jews and Protestants and Gentiles was was a lot more marked. Um, and people just didn't. I don't think people just made that connection back then. It, it, yes, Jesus was born a Jew, but he didn't remain a Jew. But he became European by the end. <laughs> right. right. From the Gospel Coalition, we're talking to Joe Carter. He wrote a piece called The FAQs, What Christians Should Know About Anti-Semitism. So, Joe, um, I mean, this this guy who went into this in the sanctuary here in the city of Pittsburgh, I mean, that's that's fresh. That's new. So that's all over the internet. And if you're so inclined, I mean, you know, the reports are that this guy wasn't, uh, you know, the the shooter wasn't some crazy guy. You know, there was a, just a news story in the in the Pittsburgh Post Gazette here locally just a few days ago, and and friends saying, you know, he was a pretty good guy until he started, you know, sort of going in on the internet and fell down this this hole. So if there's one guy like that shooter, then there has to be thousands and mm-hmm. thousands more daily who are eating this poison who are anti-Jews. And to me, of course, and I think for all well-meaning people, uh, that's, a, that's a scary proposition to think that the rise of Nazi Germany and people who are like-minded will come to the forefront once again. It is, and it's, uh, and it's strange because we have two types of anti-Semitism now. One's kind of religious driven by Islam and hatred of the religious hatred of Jews, and the other is economic, which I think was driven by this guy. It's just There's a need to blame somebody for, for the ills in your life. If, you're, if you're, you don't have a job you want or don't have the life you want, there's somebody to blame, and for some reason the Jews usually tend to be the ones that get to blame for them. Joe, thanks again. I mean, I mean, I mean it when I say that every time you're on the show, I hear some kind of nugget, and I think, what? Yeah, that's Joe Carter. I mean, that's a compliment, Joe. I don't want you to th- – I mean, I really thanks, like uh, it. Yeah, it's good. But again, <laughs> shocking. I really appreciate you being here. Joe Carter from the Gospel Coalition, the FAQs, What Christians Should Know About Anti-Semitism. If you had to replace everything in your fridge today, how much would it cost? For a restaurant or church, that could mean thousands in lost product and downtime. That's when you call Ventec Refrigeration. When your walk-in goes down, Ventec will be there on the spot fast with portable units to save valuable product. And they'll even move it for you while repairs are made with flat rate pricing instead of hourly fees. A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Keep your cool with Ventec Refrigeration. 412-793-0661. This here is the story. Of Lawrence, who always wanted to play pro football. His parents supported his love of the game, sent him to special camps, and then in college, pro scouts came to a bunch of games where Lawrence was playing the trumpet at halftime. Yeah, Lawrence was never that good at football, gave up by the time he got to college. But he also learned how Geico could save him a lot of money on car insurance, so he switched and saved. So, this here story has a happy ending after all. It's me, the kid who's saying, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Yeah, I grew up, got my teeth 
turns out not super impressive. What I really should have sang was, all I want for Christmas is to go to Fun for All Family Fun Park's Holiday Lights Mini Golf. They turn 36 holes of award-winning miniature golf into Holiday Lights extravaganza like no other. From 5 to 10 p.m. November 16th through January 2nd, it's the most fantastic way to have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> Still got it. Learn more at funforall.com backslash holiday lights. The day after Thanksgiving, feed your soul. Join Amen to Action as we come together to sing, pray, celebrate, and pack one million meals of hope for the hungry. It's Friday, November 23rd at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. Doors open at 8 a.m. and all faiths and ages are welcome. Come fill your heart with joy and one million plates of food right here in Pittsburgh. To register, go to amentoaction.org. Did you know that when you buy a mattress from a retail store, that mattress is being sold for the second time? What do I mean? Well, the manufacturer sells the mattress to the retailer, who in turn sells it to you with costs and markups for both parties. At the Original Mattress Factory, we have our own factory right here at our store. So the mattress you buy is being sold for the first and only time. That's why our prices are hundreds less than the mainstream mattress brands. Stop by one of our factory locations or visit us at OriginalMattress.com to see for yourself. It's been a full day. The to-do list is done, the kids are in bed, the dishes can wait. Right now, this moment is just for you. It's your chance to unwind. It's your end of day, ah. At the Original Mattress Factory, we're proud supporters of the end of day, ah, and we want to see how you relax at the end of your busiest days. Share your posts on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the hashtag end of day, ah, for the chance to win a $1,000 Original Mattress Factory gift certificate. Relax. You've earned it. Oh, today is your birthday, and I wish you many, many, many more. It's not mine. It's not mine. Mike, it's not mine. Okay. However, it is the birthday of several people that you've probably heard of. Well, everybody's got some birthdays today, right? Russell Westbrook is 30 years old today. I don't have a clue who Russell oh, Westbrook is. He's the quarterback of the Seahawks. Oh, sorry. Oh, they lost yesterday, didn't they? Uh, you know, I didn't see the end yes, of that they game. Did. They did. did they, they lose? Lost. Yeah. And then, the Rams? Si- then 60 Minutes last night profiled the one-handed player. Was that a good story? Oh, it was a great story. Him oh, and his I wish brother. I would have heard that. Him and his brother, man. They made a oh. pact when they were eight years old. Wherever you go, I'm going with you. And so when his brother got signed to the Seahawks, I don't know these guys' names. So the brother, the brother got signed to the Seahawks, and he was a rookie phenom. And then his, his, the one-handed brother was right behind him, a year behind him. And nobody, nobody, everybody passed, 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 passed. Finally, this guy got drafted, I think, in the fifth round by the Seahawks. And now he's a star right with his brother. So at the very end of the segment... The two brothers were sitting there, and they were talking like brothers talking. It. And, it, and the one brother said, we're going to marry twins, and we're going to live in the same house together. And life's going to be happy. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I loved it. We'll have a pool in the backyard. It'll be half on your yard yeah. and half on my yard. We're going to marry twins. Very good. <laughs> it's also Anne Hathaway's birthday. She's How old do you know? Do you know, uh, do you know who Anne? You don't, you yeah, don't, I know oh, Anne. you do. Yeah, okay. yeah. Anne Hathaway. Are you uh, an Anne fan? Oh, yeah. I like Anne okay. Hathaway. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she's late 30s, I would say. 38, maybe. Six? Okay, 36. Close. All right. Uh, what would you have liked her in? 
Jeez, I don't know. Uh, Les Mis? Did you see Les Mis? Oh, I did love Les Mis. I didn't see it. I love, did, you didn't you know, see I didn't, Les Mis? Well, you know, I didn't see anything. I'm really bad with films. Yeah, she was excellent. She was excellent in Les Mis. Okay. She's in Get Smart with that. Uh, that's a cheese ball film. That's I, funny. Did you see it? No, I was, no I never that's saw That's what's so funny about it. bad. It's a good one. I'll tell you what. Princess Diaries. Princess Diaries. She was awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. With my idol, Julie Andrews. Les Mis, yeah. Happy birthday, Anne Hathaway. Also, Ryan Gosling. Hey, Ryan Gosling. I know you're a fan. I am a big fan, Ryan mm-hmm. Gosling. Yeah, Lars and the Real Girl. Please, please, Listen, please, 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 please. what your plans are for tonight and just decide you're going to watch Lars and the Real Girl. And don't get put off when you see the plot at the beginning. Oh, no, no. Just don't freak out and say this is some kind of sick film John and Kathy invited me into. Please no, no, watch no. That. You have to stay with it. By the end, it'll You'll make you it. cry. It'll make you laugh. It's Ryan so wonderful. Okay, so today's happy birthday, Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. First man. He is, let me think, he was part of the Disney thing. Hurry up. 38 years old. 38. Like, like Anne Hathaway. How do you do that? Well, I'm. he is 38, right? Anne Hathaway's 36. Sharing the word that changes the world. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. As if the wildfires that have destroyed the Paradise, California area in the northern half of the state and parts of Southern California weren't enough. Ventura County Fire Chief Mark Lorenzen says two new wildfires sprang up this morning west of Los Angeles, including one that shut down a highway near Topanga Canyon. We do expect some threat to structures in the area of Corganville and Smith Road, and there are uh, evacuations in the Lake Manor and Box Canyon areas. The blazes have been blamed for some 31 deaths. The cause of the two biggest fires on opposite ends of the state were under investigation. Pacific Gas and Electric told state regulators that it had a problem with an electrical transmission line near the site of the Northern California blaze minutes before it broke out. On Wall Street, a record drop again as the Dow was down by 602 points. The Nasdaq dropped 206. This is SRN News. Jen had a very busy day today. Really busy. First, she dropped her kids off at daycare. Then she had a few minutes before yoga class for a coffee. Small latte, please. And then she saved a few lives. Nurse, two units, donated. One, an injured child. Another, a cardiac patient. And then, a premature baby. All because Jen logged on to bloodsciencefoundation.org and made a financial donation. There, done. You see, local blood donors provide only about half of what is needed to treat patients. The other half has to be purchased and relies on financial donations from people like you and Jen. Ooh, cake pops. So, what have you done today? To make a financial donation that saves lives, visit bloodsciencefoundation.org. Blood Science Foundation. Giving from the heart. Have you ever seen a pest controller spraying chemicals in your home? It makes you wonder, if their chemicals are safe, then why do they suit up and wear respirators only to leave you to walk back in unprotected? G'day, I'm Scott from Plug-In Pest Free, and I'm here to tell you there's a better way. In an age where we now have the choice to drive electric cars, you too can electronically read your home or business of unwanted rodents and pests. The answer is Plug-In Pest Free. 100% 100% chemical-free, Plug-in Pest-Free is your safest bet for your family and pets. Our bestseller, the Plug-in Pest-Free Pro, will cover up to 4,000 square feet. Now that's fair income. So order yours today at gopestfree.com. Use promo code RADIO20 for 20% off plus free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. 
That's gopestfree.com, promo code RADIO20. Don't spray and regret, plug in and forget. GoPestFree.com today. Hi, this is Tunch Ilkin on behalf of Light of Life Rescue Mission. Thanksgiving has great meeting for the entire team at the mission, and it reaches far beyond a few football games and eating too much turkey. We're thankful for you, the caring Pittsburgh community, and the generous ways you continue to reach out and help us touch the lives of those in need. Today I'm asking you to join our team to help us share the priceless gift of hope by visiting lightoflife.org and donating generously today. How does Trinity Christian School's classical approach prepare students for college? With SAT scores more than 200 points above the national average and a solid biblical understanding of all subjects, all for an exceptional value compared to other private schools? Find out at their campus-wide all-grade showcase November 13th at 7 p.m. Hear from the headmaster, teachers, students, and parents of one of the top 10 K-12 schools in Allegheny County, Trinity Christian School, 412-242-8886. Cold rain tonight likely ends as a little wet snow late. Not much in the way of accumulation, but watch for slick spots if you're out. Low 33 tonight. Tomorrow starts out with a leftover flurry or two, otherwise cloudy, brisk, and cold with a high only 38. Rather cold tomorrow night with lingering clouds, low near 20. Clouds and breaks of sun Wednesday, but we stay rather cold with a high only 36. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Frank Strait on 101.5 Word FM. Hey, welcome. Happy that you're with us here for the 5 o'clock hour of the ride home. This is uh, the observance of Veterans Day. Of course, Veterans Day was yesterday, 11-11-18, the end of World War One, where almost 40 million people were killed. Um, if anyone had ever doubted man's inhumanity to man and you were alive during the World War One era, uh, you saw it in full yeah. flourish. And you know what is so tragic looking back, but also so fitting, is that prior to World War One, in Europe in particular and in America, there was this resurgence of uh, humankind is on the upswing, right. that mankind can do everything, that, you know, Darwinism is just pushing us, you know, further and further upward into a level of, you know, accomplishment and intelligence and capability that we'd never had before. And, you know, there was talk of eugenics at that point. There was talk of maximization of the human race and, and that the idea of war was looked at as something that was archaic. Right. That humans were too smart. You know, we had achieved too much. We we had gotten ourselves educated and our minds had expanded to such a degree that war was something that we all realized was so, you know, self-defeating. And so we would never do it again because it would just be too dumb. And so, you know, we didn't have to worry about that. So we kind of pushed that aside. And that was going to be something that was of the past and not of the future. And so we were going to invest in science and we were going to invest in, you know, political discourse between people and we were going to maximize the human potential. And then the war came. And not only was it a skirmish at first, but that went on for years and years and became just a world engulfing catastrophe especially when you think of the british and french i mean it's just the numbers are so staggering and that idea of unlimited human progress just came 
crashing down. It did. Although, I mean, the tagline that goes with World War One is that was the war to end all wars. Right. Now, of course, we all know that's a fallacy. As because we- there was still, I think, and this is only my opinion, there was still a little bit of that Hope. left. Right. Is that, okay, well, uh, all right, so we can't believe this is happening. But still, we do think... That you know, humans have have evolved to a certain level. We're, we don't. We're not going to do this anymore. Okay, we have to do this one, but we're never going to have to do another one. And then, twenty years later, yeah, oh, modern man, who can solve any problem. And in many ways, I believe that was the changing of how people looked at organized religion as well. That there was a flourishing, especially in Europe, of atheism. The church mm-hmm. started to change. Although the, the belief in science was on the rise, mm-hmm. um, Darwinism had taken full hold, I think, in the Western countries, in the, not just in the Western countries, I mean, in the Western understanding. Right. Now, I remember being a kid and listening to family stories at my grandmother's house, and they would talk about uh, an uncle who I had never met, an uncle Huey was his name. And Uncle Huey was a World War I vet, and he came home, and he was never the same because Uncle Huey was shell-shocked. And so Uncle Huey was on relief most of his life. He tried to get a job at the railroad. But because Uncle Huey had been shell-shocked, he just couldn't work in the real world. Now, of course, we know that now is PTSD, where the events of what happened to Uncle Huey, and I'm sure countless untold millions of men and women, the, the war rattled them so deeply with the inhumanity between mustard gas and airplanes with bombs and the the battering of the gigantic guns all that uh, with modern man as the exclamation point it really truly shook this world to its foundation Mm -hmm. that evil in some ways had been industrialized where before there was a small smattering of gunshots but more hand-to-hand combat here the massacre of almost 40 million people worldwide was a wake-up call for death and destruction on a scale unforeseen up to that point. And as you say, Kath, a short 20-plus years later, World War II was the world, was the war that really defined man's deep and strong inhumanity. And, of course, as a society, we've never been the same since. Mm-hmm. As a world, we've never been the same since. Mm-hmm. When you think of um, cultural artifacts that, I don't know, have made an impact on you, John, um, about World War One, I. I mean, do, is there any... I don't know. Are there any films about World War One? Or there, you know, I don't know, poet poetry or art. Well, or- well you know, uh, as a kid, I was obsessed with photography, so um, I, I would get these picture books and you know, just you know, whatever. Go to the library and go to the photography section and just sit and look. And so, as a young boy, and of course, this is all pre-internet. You know, at twelve, thirteen years old, sitting and looking at war photography from World War One and seeing, for me as a young kid, the first time casualties of war and seeing men you know dead their eyes open their bodies maimed um that was shocking to me and and i think i i remember seeing that you know my mind's eye when you bring that up that's what that's the first thing that comes to my mind and also seeing aerial photographs of you know at the time they were using biplanes to drop bombs that's how early on you know uh, aviation uh, had formed it was the very beginning of of war warfare um, when you would see the the ruins of cathedrals and towns from an aerial view, and you'd think, oh, "Holy smokes, look at that!" I mean, it's so brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, these these cathedrals had stood for five hundred plus years, and in a short amount of time, minutes, 
just ruined. Whole whole towns, just gigantic artifacts gone forever. That's what I think of. Um, what the, about Gallipoli? It's a great film. Uh, we were talking about oh we were talking gosh. about good World War One films. To me, that has to be the that's the. I think it is. Yeah. Even though it's not an American experience, it's an Australian film. I think. Right. It right? is. Yeah. That's a great movie. That really is. But I mean, doesn't that capture the youthful, yeah. like optimism at the beginning, just the unbelievable exuberance of where the Western world was sure. at the time? Because and- you look at that, you know, America and most of the world, we were an agricultural world. And so when when war came, how many young farm boys yep. were like, I'm going to go see the world. Right. And they want, they signed up quickly to be part of a grand adventure. And those who stayed behind watched, you know, at both C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien wrote about this uh, in their books. Uh, thank you to Jill Conti, professor at King's College, for writing so well about this. They watched their countryside become mechanized. Right. You know, so not only did they serve in the war, but when they came back, then they saw just the unbelievable change that had resulted in the English countryside. And where they fit in or not in that. Speaking of that, you know, and, and you just spurred a memory in me. I remember one of those picture books that I had, they would talk about the guys who chose not to go to war. The, you know, the people who were uh, physically unfit for whatever reason, or older men, or in many rare instances, Conscious. the CEOs, the conscious objectors. But in, in one of these images, there's, I remember, I'll never forget this, there's a, a someone addressed a, a, a letter to a guy who worked on a train, I forget what you know what the title was, what is what he did, but it was you know to his house, and then the note was, seeing as you won't enlist in the military, that you are now considered a woman by the members of this town, we are ashamed of you in your lack of uh, service to this country. So there was a lot of that as well. Yeah, where people were you know mm-hmm. guys were shamed for whatever reason because they chose not to fight in the war. Sure. It's shocking. Mayor, I can't believe. So, a hundred years yesterday. Yes, since the conclusion of World War One. Mm-hmm. We'll take a break. Come back. Well, we got uh, a lot more ahead. We're going to talk actually with an army chaplain, a former army chaplain, about the experiences of ministering to men and women in great need. Stay with us. WORD. Next time on PowerPoint with Jack Cram. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10 31, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. It's the only way to live as a Christian is to always ask yourself, does this glorify God? Tune in next time for PowerPoint with Jack Cram. PowerPoint tonight at 9.30 on 101.5 WORD. Hey, don't be at a disadvantage when it comes to your Medicare coverage. Open enrollment ends December 7th, and you've got some important decisions to make today. And we all know Medicare is confusing, but Todd Marley and the experts at Marley Financial know that you have questions, and they have the answers that you're looking for. So before you lock in for another year, ask yourself this question. Are you sure you're getting the best coverage possible? Visit MarleyFG.com and find out for yourself. Do you hold PAT for 2019? Has your Advantage plan changed terms on you? What premiums are going up next year, and by how much? Should you switch your Part D prescription plan or drop it altogether? 
don't go it alone. Let Marley Financial steer you to a comprehensive solution that lets you access any hospital or doctor you want. A plan that's focused not just on cost, but on quality, with lower deductibles and co-pays that are little to none. So why get stuck paying thousands in out-of-pocket expenses? Visit MarleyFG.com today. That's MarleyFG.com. Change furnace filters. Check. Change smoke detector batteries. Check. Install CO2 detector. Check. Make sure the furnace is ready in good working condition. When you have Pellis Heating and Cooling Service your system, check. You're ready for anything. And be confident knowing a Pellis Tech is available 24 hours a day in case of emergencies. With after-hour calls, return within 30 minutes. Keep your family comfortable with a comfortable family company. Pellis, P-E-L-L-E-S, at PellisHVAC.com. You're a good mom. You've tried every parenting tip in the book, but nothing seems to stick. Your child is smart, but just can't sit still and focus. Or maybe you know that something is just off. If your child just can't do things you think he should be able to, there is a reason. Brain Balance can help. For over 10 years, the Brain Balance program has helped kids just like yours. This customized program doesn't just mask your child's issues, but gets to the root of the problem. If your child is not making friends, is disruptive in school, or life just seems a lot harder than it needs to be, it's not that he's not trying. He just can't change what he can't control. The Brain Balance Program can help. If you feel your child falling further and further behind in school, don't wait. Call your local center today and find out how Brain Balance can build the strong foundation your child needs for a brighter future. Visit BrainBalance.com for the center nearest you. Train up children in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. PittsburghChristianSchools.net will help you locate true educational partners in Allegheny, Beaver, Butler, and Washington counties. PittsburghChristianSchools.net On this Veterans Day, we pause to consider and thank those men and women who've given their service, their time, their effort, in many cases, their lives for us to be here today. Zach Moon is with us. Zachary Moon is the professor of... um at the Chicago Theological Seminary, his research uh, focuses on the role of military chaplains, congregations in ministry with veterans and mi- military families. He wrote a piece a couple of years back at uh, Christianity Today called Neither Heroes Nor Head Cases. And, of course, a military chaplain would know that firsthand. And, uh, Zachary, welcome to the show. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So talk about what you think are the obvious or maybe not obvious misconceptions that the regular American has about those who serve. Yeah, I don't even know if I would frame it as a misconception. I think what so often happens is, particularly at a time of Veterans Day, you know, we tell hero stories. Uh, we, We talk about how much we appreciate how thankful we are for our veterans um, and for myself and, and for those that I served with, you know, we appreciate the appreciation. And uh, there's sometimes uh, parts of our experience, um, parts of what we have survived, parts of what we have endured, uh, parts of what our families um, have sacrificed as a part of their service as a military family um, that uh, are a little bit more uh, than, than just uh, thank you for your service uh, can kind of cover. And so... Um, you know, when I think about uh, church community, I think about what a magnificent place uh, to really be able to hold uh, veterans, to be really able to hold 
military families um, uh, abide with them in the kinds of loving relationships um, that help to see us come all the way home um, uh, following our military service. Um, I'm not as worried about the misconceptions as I am about places in which uh, we sometimes stop short in having the whole conversation and really being in relationship uh, all the way. Uh, the folks that we need in our lives more than anything are like uh, good and steadfast friends, you know, the kind of folks who are willing to hang in there with you when you're not at your best. Um, that's really that kind of next step, you know, uh, beyond thank you for your service, beyond appreciation on Veterans Day. I see. Um, you know, we need those kind of good friends in our lives. Right. So, Zachary, would you mind sharing your military service with us? T- talk about you as a young man and, you know, your entry into the service. So, uh, what branch were you in? Yeah, I served as a Navy chaplain. My time in was um, uh, with uh, the Marines, uh, is who I served with. Um, I grew up, uh, my father um, uh, served two tours in Vietnam in the Army, uh, and he never really talked that much about his military experience. There was maybe one or two stories from his experience that I ever heard him share. And it wasn't until I started talking to him about feeling called to do military chaplaincy uh, and began working as a chaplain uh, resident in a VA hospital system as a lot of the guys that I was working with there were Vietnam uh, veterans themselves. And, and I was talking to him about, you know, the work that I was doing there. And I think that helped to open up a conversation between us across those generations. Uh, and he started being able to be more connected with some of his stories and sharing those with me. I don't think I really realized how much of an impact military service had on him and through him had on me uh, until I started uh, doing this work myself. Uh, and then... Uh, about a year beyond that, I uh, commissioned uh, with the Navy and spent some time serving in uniform at that time, um, really realizing that as much as I value doing the work within the VA uh, hospital context, um, that I really felt kind of called uh, to really go and be in the places where um, uh, these wonderful uh, men and women who serve in uniform on our behalf to really go where they are. I think with chaplaincy, you know, the really beautiful opportunity, the, the blessed privilege that it is to serve in ministry in that kind of capacity yeah. is to be with folks where they are in the midst of what they're dealing with, in the midst of what they're facing, um, and to be uh, a presence um, and a vessel of God's love. Uh, in in the midst of whatever it is uh, that they're facing uh, in that moment. And I consider it to be a singular privilege in my life to be able to have done that ministry. I mean, I admire that. I mean, anybody who's uh, serving, but then, of course, you're serving Jesus Christ in the greater community as well. We've got a friend, Kath and I do, uh, and their their son went into the Marine Corps. And I'll never forget this. You know, I sent him a letter while he was in basic training just to say, hey, you know, thinking about you, praying for you. And uh, he wrote back and he said something to the effect of, you know, I'm in a prayer group here at Marine uh, Boot Camp. He said, but uh, in the prayer group, there's a little more swearing than usual than most prayer groups. Uh, and yes, so, I think that's probably true. I think probably more, more higher, higher than average. Uh, <laughs> uh, like we there, and I think, and then I think you know because of that, it takes a particular kind of minister. It takes somebody who can recognize uh, that God stands with people, uh, and 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 God doesn't just you know run out of the room uh, just because some salty language gets used. Yeah. Uh, being able to think about how to be uh, that consistent and persistent uh, presence in people's lives and. Uh, 
and 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 recognize the language and the culture for being what it is, and also be able to see each and every one of those uh, Marines or or whatever branch you're serving with to be able to see them as a beloved child of God, deserving uh, of our care, our compassion. Um, and to be uh, a company, to be able to be supported uh, in the midst of their military service. Zachary Moon is with us, professor at Chicago Theological Seminary, um, also a uh, Navy veteran. I want to ask you about the lack of conversation that a lot of veterans seem to have with their family members or whatever. You mentioned that your dad was a Vietnam vet. He didn't really say anything about it, and it wasn't until later that you you guys – had a commonality and that caused him to, you know, express to you how important that military service was. So what keeps men and women from talking about those experiences? Is it the horror of it? Is it the fact that there's no possible way civilians could ever understand? It just takes too, it would take too long to explain that, you know, all the intricacies of what military life is like. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple things kind of working to create that particular situation. You know, one part of it is, um, you know, you're going through boot camp, you're going through basic training, and you're hearing again and again and again. You know, you are you are the few um, American citizens who are willing to put on a uniform in this generation. You know, a one percent. You know. Uh, of uh, of of our citizens have been willing to do this, even though we have been at war now for more years uh, than we ever have been in in our nation's history. Uh, so you hear that again and again and again. And part of what your training is about is being deeply connected uh, to the people who are there, shoulder to shoulder with you uh, in that experience. And so when you get home and you don't have those folks around you anymore. Uh, it's a ch- it's a challenge to adjust to being able to see civilian folks. Uh, as someone who you can trust, you know, to the same degree that you were able to be not just trusting these folks in your unit, but, but willing to lay down your life for those folks. Um, and it's, it, it's such a deep impact on you um, to have been in that experience. And if you see in civilians a kind of lack of seriousness, lack of awareness even that we have been at war for these many years and, and the sacrifices that it's take to, to have done that, uh, that can become a certain kind of barrier. I think within families, though, what, what I have heard and, and witnessed even in my own experience is uh, we hold back because these are the people that we care about the most and and the pain that we feel, the grief uh, that we carry with us. We don't want to extend that pain. Um, there's, it's almost a kind of protective measure to say, if, if I share this story with you uh, out loud uh, and... and um, uh, I don't want you to feel the pain. I don't want you to feel the grief that I know, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold back. And it's not because we we're trying to be uh, uh, evasive or uh, or avoid our family members. It's it's merely a, a kind of protective measure. Now, but here's the real challenge with this: um, when when veterans stay in that mindset of saying I can only trust another veteran, I can only trust another veteran uh, to share these experiences with. Um, it's not to say that those aren't special relationships. They are special relationships because of the ways we've been shaped by that experience. But it also means that our interpersonal world might get really, really small, right? If, if I'm saying, hey, I can only talk uh, to somebody right. else who put on the uniform. And if we're talking about Marines, right. right, the Marines are a tiny minority within that tiny minority, right? So my Marines, you know, they don't want to talk to somebody in the Air Force. You know, they, they're only going to talk to another Marine. So um, so that interpersonal world can become very, very small. And what I worry about as a person of faith is 
uh, when we get into the hardest situations in our lives, we need not one or two people. We need a whole community of people to be able to be with us, uh, to be able to receive that support and that care in those kinds of times. Um, and I'm not just talking about stuff related to your military service. I'm talking about the real hardships that come along as a part of our lives. And if if an individual, if a person's uh, interpersonal world has gotten so small that they don't feel like they can talk to somebody uh, in that moment of crisis, in that moment of pain and hardship that they might be feeling, you know, that's that's where folks really get themselves in the most trouble. And so what I always say to folks in the church is, if you're a civilian, it's all the more important that you can show up and be trustworthy, be authentic, be honest in that relationship, and hang in there in that friendship. Because if you can do that, if a veteran can feel that you are trustworthy as a civilian, it means maybe I can trust another civilian. Maybe I can trust um, a whole bunch of civilians, and then my interpersonal world gets bigger again, right? It, it, it gets back to a place where I can see people as being potential friends, uh, and not just uh, kind of dismiss uh, everybody sight unseen to say, well, mm. you wouldn't understand, you wouldn't get it, I probably can't trust you. If even that one connection is, is able to be made authentically, you are having a transformative impact on somebody's life, uh, and it might be a life-saving kind of connection that you have uh, with that person. That's really good. Zachary Moon's with us. So what about you then, Zachary? You know, you're not in um, a pastoral ministry, so to speak, with a with a regular church, are you? Uh, no, not currently. I don't serve in that capacity. No, my, my ministry now is uh, in teaching, is in uh, helping communities and helping uh, students here at the seminary uh, to be able to, to develop their uh, pastoral gifts, uh, to be able to discern and strengthen uh, their calls to ministry. I get to work with folks now who uh, have, like me, uh, received a call to do military chaplaincy and think about how to prepare them. Uh, what are what are the real skills and 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 practices that they'll need to be able to do that ministry faithfully and effectively? Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine you know being a, a young man or a young woman uh, separated from those you love and going out and serving your country and be surrounded by chaos and needing someone, needing a voice uh, of light and wisdom and reason to speak to. And there you are representing Jesus Christ standing in front of guys. What's that like? I mean. Um, I'm sure you get a lot of pushback as well, right? Guys who are not believers look at you as not really a soldier and, you know, some kind of a holy guy that's kind of hard to pigeonhole. Yeah, that's right. From some folks, they see you as being, you know, uh, well, if you're religious, you must be apart from us. And then you see other folks who, who see you as being less than, right? So you get those projections kind of working against you both ways. Yeah. I think the thing that's really um, means a lot to folks is is realizing um, that that you would be willing to do that job. Uh, I think that 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 opens a lot of folks' heart to this. Mm. And and as we were talking about a little bit earlier with the salty language, you know, coming up during the Bible study or or during the prayer meeting, um, I, I think that salty language is sometimes a way of testing, mm-hmm. right? Of saying, hey, are are you going to be the kind of religious person who's going to get uh, scared of of this word or scared of this conversation? And if if a military chaplain runs away, what it says to that person is, God's going to run out on me too. You know, Jesus isn't going to stick around to be in my life. But when those chaplains can be steadfast, who can stick around, who can say, okay, I see you using that language. I see you, uh, you know, testing me a little bit. And what I want you to know is, 
um, I'm going to hang in here with you uh, because I love you and I and I care for you and I believe that God created us to belong to each other and be in relationship with each other. Whether you even say any of that out loud in words, even just by virtue of being present and being willing to get out there and be wherever uh, our men and women are serving, it says something about God. It says something about who Jesus is in people's lives. And, and that has a powerful impact on folks. Look, most of the Marines I served with um, weren't going to church uh, when they were stateside. They, uh, it may be a long time uh, before they ever set foot in, inside a church. I happen to believe uh, that God loves them in this moment and, and every moment. And so I don't uh, worry too much about their church membership card. Uh, what, what I worry about is, do they have a signpost in their life that reminds them about how powerful God's love and God's grace and God's mercy is, um, and how that's a kind of power that doesn't just come and go, uh, but is a force in our universe. And because I believe that, that becomes my job. My job is show up like that, be like that in these folks' lives. Uh, So whether or not uh, they come to the Bible study or not, whether or not they set foot in church or not right now, None of that uh, is is what I would evaluate my job on because if I know that if I show up and be faithful and and be that that sign of mercy and grace in that person's life, uh, that it will have been a job well done and it, it will have communicated something uh, that I think is the gospel message uh, in their lives. Zachary, we're so happy that you were able to join us today. Yeah. I mean, it's just been really wonderful to talk to you. I really appreciate your honesty in encouraging us to have a, the whole conversation, as you called it early on, with our veterans. And so um, we're thank grateful. You. We appreciate it. Thank you for your service. Yes, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. Our great pleasure. From Chicago Theological Seminary, Professor Zachary Moon has been with us. A few moments ago, I placed a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And as I stepped back and stood during the moment of silence that followed, I said a small prayer. And it occurred to me that each of my predecessors has had a similar moment. And I wondered if our prayers weren't very much the same, if not identical. We celebrate Veterans Day on the anniversary of the armistice that ended World War I. The armistice that began on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And I wonder, in fact, if all Americans' prayers aren't the same as those I mentioned a moment ago. For all we can ever do for our heroes is remember them and remember what they did. And memories are transmitted through words. This is Michael Medved. I'm here with Mike Stahl from Health Markets, helping folks find the right Medicare coverage. The news reports say that the rates might be going down. The government projects the cost of Medicare plans will decrease this year. So you have to ask yourself, are you getting the best rate? Health Markets offers a free service with access to thousands of Medicare plans nationwide to help folks maximize their benefits and save money. What is it people need to keep in mind? Enrollment in the right plan is not automatic. With so many Medicare options, it can be confusing. My advice? Don't go it alone. Get unbiased help to find a plan that may cost less and cover more with lower co-payments, more choices like dental and vision, and the freedom to choose your doctor.
doctors. With the enrollment deadline only weeks away, it's important to act now. Our Health Markets Medicare assistance is free. Thanks, Mike. This is Michael Medved for Health Markets. For your free Medicare assistance, call 800-741-5592. That's 800-741-5592. 800-741-5592. Great experiences are meant to be shared. How about the experience of a great night's sleep? This is John Hall, and I've been sharing with you about my pillow for a long time. It's truly the most comfortable pillow I've ever owned. It's machine washable, dryable, never loses its shape, and it gives me the support I need no matter what position I'm in. And it comes with Mike Lindell's famous 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Once you experience my pillow, I'm sure that you'll love it too. And you're going to want to share that great experience with somebody else, which is great because right now you can get two my pillows for the price of one with Mike's buy one, get one free deal. Just call 1-800-961-9207. Mention the promo code word to start enjoying the best sleep of your life or type it in when you visit mypillow.com. So don't delay. That's 1-800-961-9207. Or visit MyPillow.com. Use the promo code WORD. When danger is imminent, will you be prepared? Now many mobile devices can bring you critical information from local sources you trust with a unique sound and vibration. Wireless emergency alerts keep you in the know, wherever you are. Learn more at ready.gov slash alerts. Just this weekend, I went to Grove City, took that 45-mile trek for me, from my house up to the campus there. And I wasn't just going to visit my daughter. I was actually going to cheer the Grove City swim and dive team on in their uh, their meet against St. Vincent's, which they won because it was domination. Very nice. You know, I have to be a parent. you got to like, be a total homer. Anyway, uh, so I spent the, the afternoon there and got to hang out with my daughter, you know, my husband, and you know, we just had a really good time. But one of the things I was thinking when I was there and I've talked about this before on the air, is just the unbelievable amount of discipline it takes to be a student athlete. And I I can't even picture remembering my own academic life and what the day-to-day was like, being able to put a sport into it that at Grove City, if you're a swimmer, you're putting three hours a day into six days a week. You just That's what it is. If you're not willing to put three day three hours a day into your sport, and then what are you putting into your classes? And you, I mean, it's just you really have to be organized. And I've told my daughter this over and over again. I'm just – I'm really – I'm proud of her, but I'm also just – really in awe of her personal organization skills that causes that to, to for, for her to be able to succeed in that way and just really appreciate that in her because I didn't have that yeah. when I was an undergrad. But the good thing about Grove City is it's not just about discipline, though I think that's really important there. Discipline in sports and athletics, di- you know, discipline in academics. Um, but it's, I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff that goes on too. Heck yeah, there is. You know, um, your your education, Kath, at Pitt and mine at Point Park, certainly different than, you know, what our sons and daughters are experiencing at Grove City College. I mean, I said to my, you know, my oldest who's up at Grove City, he's a junior. I said, what are you doing on Saturday night? He goes, you know, and it's different. It's a generational thing. Ah, uh, we're playing. What's that video game? Blah blah. Well, like I know, know any video game. Yeah, he's playing. What is it? Four. It's some Fortnite. Vi- Fortnite. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, there's a Fortnite festival going on right now, and he's thrilled about that. And then he said, and then tomorrow night, which was last night, we're doing the the ramen fest. And I'm like, well, what the heck's the ramen fest? Oh, no, uh, I wasn't invited to the ramen. Apparently, fest. there's a group on campus that you know all these college kids are eating ramen noodles, but now but they're, they're doing- just all bringing their own package. No, no, no. Apparently, this was <laughs> hard to believe. 
high-end ramen noodles. <laughs> okay. High-end. He said, you know, um, it's a yearly campus event. One of the groups hosts with pr- with proper, super high-quality ramen noodles and homemade broth flavors. Right. I mean, who doesn't I like love, that? Who doesn't? So, at okay Grove City College, uh, they've got the fun, they've got the education, they've got the discipline and the work ethic. Our kids go there. Thumbs up. We love Grove City College. Look for them online, gcc.edu. Edu. Cold rain tonight likely ends as a little wet snow late. Not much in the way of accumulation, but watch for slick spots if you're out. Low 33 tonight. Tomorrow starts out with a leftover flurry or two, otherwise cloudy, brisk, and cold with a high only 38. Rather cold tomorrow night with lingering clouds, low near 20. Clouds and breaks of sun Wednesday, but we stay rather cold with a high only 36. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Frank Strait on 101.5 Word FM. Today's Wall Street Journal in the Lifestyles section talks about why smart, chic women are abandoning high heels forever. (laughs) I can understand that, and I don't wear high heels. Listen, I, I'm telling you, I've, I've worn heels, you know, pretty much most of my life. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's a pain. It's a Literally pain. and figuratively. Exactly. How are your toes? Yeah. Well, they hurt. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. They hurt. Right now they hurt? Been, no, no, they're good right now. <laughs> I'm, wearing, I'm wearing boots. Okay. You're okay. not looking at my shoes. They are heels, though, but, you know, they're comfortable. You get to the point where you have to be very good at smoking out the shoes that are going to work for you. And I hate to say this, but you just have to spend more money on them. Like the days of buying shoes at Payless, you know, disappeared when I was like 22. I'm sure. That's just done. That's over with. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but this article talks about the importance of just embracing stylish flat shoes. Mm -hmm. Now, you wonder why I'm bringing this up. Well, I'll tell you why. Because as I was looking at the article, and I think this is kind of interesting, certainly nothing I talk about on the radio with you guys. (laughs) Yeah. Or flat shoes in general. Until... I looked at some of the shoes that they were recommending. Mm-hmm. Okay, these are these are stylish flats that would really dress up an outfit. They're every they're fine for work. Oh yeah, these are the kind of shoes that you could wear all day at work and feel good about yourself. You don't have to wear heels because if you're investing in these shoes, they're going to be not just stylish; they're going to be comfortable and they're going to make you look great. Recommended by the Wall Street Journal. I mean, it's the yeah. Wall Street Journal. Yeah, please. All right, these are the uh, first shoes that were mentioned. I'd like to bring these up okay. to you. Now, the fanciful fantasy. Those are lace flats. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those are from Christian Laboutin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, The luxurious loaf about, which are velvet Venetian slippers. Okay. The vintagey Vixen by Tory Birch. (laughs) Who comes up with these names? That'd be a good job to have. And the ornamental gem Raffia Flats. By Salvador Ferragamo. Ah. Now, the reason I bring that up is, of course, you used to work for Ferragamo when you lived in New York City. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, Before I throw this to you, John, for your comment. (laughs) Hey, it's John Hall's Fashion Rules. (laughs) I wanted to tell you the prices of the shoes that they've just recommended. Okay, so these are are a pair of like basic flats. These are flats. There's nothing fancy about these, okay? These are just, they look look fine. They look nice. No, they're better than fine. They're pretty. They're they're not like, you know, black danskins. Well, they, that's Dance Co. Whatever. This is how much they cost. The luxurious loaf about the velvet Venetian slippers are three hundred and forty dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, for a pair of flats. The vintagey Vixen Tory Burch loafers are three hundred and twenty-eight dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the fanciful fantasy lace flats from Christian Laboutin are eight hundred and forty-five dollars, and 
rounding out this selection of flats. We have the ornamental gem, raffia, or raffia, depending on how you want to pronounce it, mm-hmm. flats, by Salvatore Ferragamo for $930. Yeah, very nice. Now, listen, I it is hard for me to get my head around spending $900 on a pair of shoes. Did you? What was the most you ever spent on a pair of shoes? All right, that's a good question. Uh, I have a pair of boots, probably the boots I have, I mm-hmm. spent the most on, and they were $160. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's that's like nothing. Look it's at you. Thriller. Why are you both laughing? Well, because it's – You're both shaking uh, your no, head I'm not laughing. laughing. No, I'm not laughing. I'm just, Mike is. Believe no. me, uh, that's a lot of money for a pair of shoes. I mean, for, you know, for, from my perspective. But when you look at what people spend on shoes, you know, that's not much money at all. And it, it's <laughs> – Hey, it's John Hall's Fashion Rules. And especially the, pe- you know, the people who are buying these Ferragamo flats. $1,000 for a pair of flats? Now, look, um, I was a kid, and uh, w- I started to work at Ferragamo in New York City. I got it through a, um, what, what do they call the job service. Oh, right. You know, mm-hmm. I went in there, and uh, I was a bicycle messenger for about seven months. And it was wintertime, and I thought, I'm getting off this bike. So I went to one of these job places. They were like, oh, yeah, uh, we need a stock boy at Salvatore Ferragamo. I had no idea what it was. You'd never heard of? Never. Never in my life. So I went to this place on Fifth Avenue. I think they're Fifth Avenue and 55th. And they put me to work in the basement as a stock boy. I start looking at these shoes. I mean. Are they really beautiful? They're gorgeous. So I worked at Ferragamo for almost three years. And started out as a stock boy. Then they brought me upstairs in the woman's store. And are there I, two different stores? For- yeah, there's a men's. The, the woman's store is probably four times the size of the yeah, men's store. That's the way we are. And uh, the woman, the men's store is right across. The, the men's store actually is right across from Trump Tower. Hmm. I used to stand in the window at uh, Ferragamo at the men's store and look at people come and go at, at Trump Tower. Um, I mean, easily you could spend easily three thousand dollars on a pair of shoes what? at Ferragamo. And they also have, you know, they're selling clothing as well. Jackets, slacks. Leather? Oh, oh, low, yeah. oh like slacks and blouses? Oh, yeah, and sure. The whole thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I first started working there and they came and they brought me on the floor. So for, for them to bring me up out of the basement and put me on the floor, that was sort of like a promotion. Oh, welcome. Welcome to the floor. So then there you are. And it's, it's really interesting because you get to see New York society come into the store with their favorite salesperson mm-hmm. who they've had a longstanding relationship with. So I remember like, you know, taking clothes out of, of these little plastic uh, liners that came in from Italy and then uh, unbuttoning them, putting them on hangers. And I said, I said quite honestly, how many bu- buttons do we button on this thing? And the woman, the sales lady said, honey, for what they're paying, you button all the buttons. <laughs> and that's been a life maxim ever since. Yeah. So then, you know, you, I, I was at the uh, woman's store for about a year. And then they said, we're going to put you over in the men's store, which was terrific. Because then you're with, you know, guys who are coming in and, you know, guys shop differently. You know, it's not some sexist thing to say. Guys shop differently than women. Less often, first off, and probably pay more. Much for- quicker. Much quicker. So in the women's store, you know, someone would come in and spend easily a couple of hours. 
and they would have you know tea or something to, you know just kind of it was a social sort of thing in a way the guy's store men would come in from wherever with big bucks and go i like that i like and they just point i like that sports coat i like that overcoat i like those shoes i want them in uh, you know burgundy and i want them in black as well i want you know those buckles i want those tassels and easily and this was like 1984 to 87 they would drop no exaggeration 20 grand 25 grand 30 grand and you know and this, there's the sales guys bu, 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 bu. and again long-term relationship everything's taken care of the things are wrapped up nicely a delivery messenger is called that's good that they wrapped up the things nicely i mean you know for the 30,000 for a kid from Swissvale it was a great just wake up call and an experience into a world that i'd never witnessed before so i was happy to work at ferragamo i understand the quality of the shoes the family salvatore himself was born back you know like 1898 or something like that after world war 2 the business exploded because couture came into fashion that changed everything and you know believe me if i had the money i'd shop there in a heartbeat did you get any shoes when you were oh there? yeah as a salesperson Every five months, they give you a brand new pair of shoes. And they don't do that at Word FM. No, they don't. So I, you know, I wore those shoes after I left Ferragamo. I bet you I wore those shoes easily into the 1990s. Probably when I started working here, I may have had a pair of suede boots. It was probably the last thing that you know sort of disintegrated. That's John Hall's Fashion Rules. Life in Salvador Ferragamo. Anyway, if you got it, spend it because it feels good to wear it. Take a break, come back, stick around. It's the Ride Home with John and Kathy here on Word FM. Turkey and stuffing, real mashed potatoes, sliced top round, Aunt Emma's broccoli casserole, chicken and gravy over buttermilk biscuits. Am I making you hungry yet? Hi, it's me, Marsha, from The Spring House. You have a special event coming up in your life, a shower, a wedding, graduation party, company party, anniversary event, or any occasion where you'd love to serve all-natural, farm-fresh foods, then it's time to give the Springhouse Catering Department a call at 724-228-3339. From your first conversation with Dawn, who will help you create a menu that's unique to you, to the beautiful, bounteous setup and display that my sister Jill and her crew create, you will will be delighted. After every catering event, Jill tells our cooks, I wish I could take you with me so you could hear all the wonderful comments guests give us. Give us a call at 724-228-3339 or check out our extensive menu at springhousemarket.com for farm fresh catering from the Springhouse. Dashing through the snow to CVS we go. A $10 cash card for beauty brands and bows. Lights to dress the tree and stocking gifts galore. Candy cards and photo gifts and deals throughout the store. At CVS Pharmacy, we've got all the little things you need this holiday. Like a $10 CVS cash card. Yours when you spend $30 on select items. This week, Hallmark cards are buy three, get three extra bucks rewards. Plus, Ghirardelli chocolate is BOGO 50% off. Restrictions apply. See cvs.com slash weekly ad for details. Hi, this is Tunchil on behalf of Light of Life Rescue Mission. Thanksgiving has great meeting for the entire team at the mission, and it reaches far beyond a few football games and eating too much turkey. We're thankful for you, the caring Pittsburgh community, and the generous ways you continue to reach out and help us touch the lives of those in need. Today I'm asking you to join our team to help us share the priceless gift of hope by visiting lightoflife.org and donating generously today. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. 
Upon your passing, you wouldn't want a judge to decide who raises your children or how your estate gets divided. It is important to review your estate planning documents to ensure they protect what matters most. At Abernathy and Hagerman, we will work with you to establish an estate plan that nominates a guardian for your minor children and that your assets are used for your family's benefit. Judge for yourself. For legal help that lasts a lifetime, visit a-h.law. I get this warm feeling every single time we have special needs patients in our office. Their needs are not that different from anybody else. Spending the time with that patient is very rewarding to me. Exceptional dentistry meets compassionate care at StockFamilyDentistry.com. You know, take your kid to work day. Oh, yeah, we've done that. Years ago when our kids were little, right? I got a new idea. What's that? I mean, it's not going to work for you because uh, Grace Hall and Don Hall have passed on. Yes. However, God bless them. this might be something that your son would institute with you in the coming years. Which it's is? called Bring Your Parents to Work Day. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen, all across the country, parents Come. are turning up at offices oh, no. to see what their adult offspring do all day. What? Mm-hmm. It's called Bring Your Parents to Work Day. I'm reading the article by Ping Shin in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, companies see it as a way to please young employees who are close to their moms and dads. Okay, now here's the, here's the kicker. This yeah. is the important thing to know. Is that the workplace is the new soccer field for parents who want to see their children <laughs> perform. <laughs> oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Wait, so mom and dad show up. Yep. There's a meeting that's going on, and they're sitting in on the meeting? Right, right, right. Oh my now, l- let me just bring this up. In Houston this summer, Lindsay Williams, age 35, looked up from a client meeting she was running to find her mother snapping photos of her and posting them to Facebook. <sighs> Super proud, her mom wrote. Uh... Her daughter... An account manager at internet marketing firm TopSpot said, I can't believe she just did that. No, but she invited them to work. Right. Now, what about uh, what about your mom and dad? Oh, my mom and dad have been here, not for a long time, but they, but they wouldn't be here We've like got, roaming around, like taking pictures of the three of us. There's three additional chairs in the studio. Right. Your mom and dad could sit right here. They could and just be here for while we do the right. show. Yeah. Well, I don't know actually, if they I, want to do that. That'd be kind of fun, actually. I did, I would We'd invite like them it, but the they studio. might not like it. They'd be like, this is really dull. During the commercial breaks, they might sort of nitpick on us. Right. They might say, you know, guys, you could do that. Well, bit listen, better. that's funny because they said this. You have to hope the stock is up on Bring Your Parents to Work Day. That was spoken by Kimberly Cassidy, who's a chief talent officer, because at a recent event, her father grilled the CEO <laughs> about why the company's shares had slipped. <laughs> Oh, my my gosh. I mean, it's just – so listen, there are all these photographs in here um, of – of you know people who are like 35 or 40 years old with their parents, which Mm -hmm. I think is really fun, except that it says this. Bring Your Parents to Work Day first caught on among advertising and tech companies where many employees say their parents have trouble understanding what they do. Mm. What do you do all yeah, day? Yeah, yeah, that but, makes sense. But here's my, here's my contention that was not something that's mentioned in the article, but I think it's probably true. A lot of these parents paid, what, $200,000 for their kid to go to college? Right. And they want to see if it was worth Where's it. Where's the payoff? Yeah. I bet that's part of it. I mean, yeah, if, yeah. if you're talking about helicopter parents who were obsessing over their kid on the soccer field or their kid in band or their kid, you know, running cross country, whatever it is, you just add 15 years to that. And now they're obsessing over their kid who's, uh, you yeah. know, t- 
tech engineer or some kind well, of you know video blogger. Well, that makes sense, right? Because you know when you we're not making things like we used to. So what exactly are people doing inside these buildings? Right, and and was it worth me spending sixty five thousand dollars a year to send you to CMU? Very nice. All right. Well, bring your parents to work. I'm bringing day. my parents in. Nanny, Stan, welcome. How can a fully stocked restroom improve your image? How can serviced fire extinguishers or a first aid cabinet make your employees more prepared? How can comfortable work apparel make your business more productive? For over a million customers, the answer is simple. Cintas. Cintas delivers everything you need to open your doors with confidence. Because helping keep businesses well-equipped, clean, and looking their best, that's our business. Oh, I'm ready! Get Cintas and get ready for the workday. You don't know when your furnace will call it quits, but you can rest assured it'll be at the most inconvenient time possible. And who has all day to wait around for a tech to arrive? With Ventec, there is no waiting around, including evenings and weekends. Ventec will repair and replace forced air, central AC, and even offers split mini-duct units to heat and cool individual rooms. With flat rate pricing instead of hourly fees. Clean, courteous, convenient, and A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Ventec, 412-793-0661. Get smarter every day at Ozzy.com. Try a new news site that tells you about the most interesting people, places, and ideas. Discover the next Obama or maybe the next LeBron James. Try OZY.com right now. Ozzy, it's like a latte for your mind. Get some. Roman Catholic bishops from around the nation have been ordered by the Vatican not to take any actions at their annual meeting to address the sex abuse crisis what? that rocked the church this year. What? What? Ian Lovett writes it today in the WSJ. Wait, oh, this was this was much anticipated. I know, the, the because this was something that they were going to do, right? Top of the agenda, finally. Cardinal Daniel DiNardo, who's president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, announced the news in his opening remarks at the conference and surprised a ton of people who were there thinking exactly what you thought, that this is, this is the finally. number one thing that we're going to get done, right? The Vatican apparently told Cardinal DiNardo about the directive on Sunday night, hmm. last night, according to a bishop familiar with the situation. It demonstrates the continuing rift between Pope Francis and the U.S. bishops over how to address the abuse crisis, the latest iteration of which began with the August report by our attorney general here in Pennsylvania, documenting the abuse of more than 1,000 children by more than 300 priests. The Vatican has insisted that any official actions on the sex abuse crisis will have to wait, John, until a global summit on the issue planned for February, the cardinal announced. The cardinal also added that he was, quote, disappointed not to be voting this week on reforms related to sex abuse. The Mm. Vatican declined to comment. All right, okay, so they kicked it down the road a little bit, and instead of making it, you know, quote, local, it's the international, right? So if if the Vatican or the church was this, you know, the uh, corporation, they're looking at this as a larger issue that affects the entire company. Well, interestingly enough, and I didn't follow this closely, and so I didn't realize that earlier this year, the Vatican asked the bishops to cancel their annual conference in Baltimore, which Mm -hmm. is what's going on right now, and instead to hold a retreat for spiritual reflection on sex abuse. But the bishops refused and went ahead with the meeting anyhow, in spite of what the Vatican told them to do, although they did go ahead and schedule a spiritual retreat for January. Now, of course, you can imagine that response was mixed. Immediately after Cardinal DiNardo announced the change of plans, Cardinal Blaise Cuppich, the Archbishop of Chicago and a close ally of Pope Francis, stood up to suggest that the bishops schedule a meeting in March to vote on reforms, so to act as soon as possible. It is clear, he said, that the Holy See is taking seriously the abuse crisis in the church. He said, we need to act soon without delay. 
except that we're not going to act now. All right. Anyway, uh, John Garrick, who's a former spokesman for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, said, look, it doesn't send a message of urgency. Getting it right is more important than rushing it. But I think it sends a really bad message to Catholics in the pews who are angry and frustrated that we're not going to do anything about it or talk about it mm-hmm. now. Okay. Well, I'm sure if you're a Catholic in the pew and you've hung in there all that time, this delay is just another chink in the wall, so to speak, right? I uh, just, you know, I got to tell you, I, I, I don't understand the inner workings of the Vatican and the Bishop's Council and all of that. But from just an observational point of view, they just have gigantic, gigantic PR problems between the leadership and the people. It is pretty much tone deaf. However, I mean, I'm sure the Vatican looks at the United States as itself and not, you know, the worldwide church is certainly not the United States church. Right. I understand that, except that this situation that we're talking about in Pennsylvania happened in the United States. Right. So the Conference of Bishops, I feel like they have they can speak into that. They so should speak into that. February, there will be some more talk and talk and talk and more talk. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Word FM and Salem Communications.